How is everybody doing? And welcome back for another Strength Chat episode. Today, I've got a very special guest for you all. Today, I'm joined by a licensed psychologist. She's helped personal trainers and strength coaches enhance their communication and motivational skills. Also, a fitness and strength enthusiast. Today, I'm joined by the one and only Dr. Lisa Lewis. How, uh, how are you doing? I'm great, Stephen. Thanks for having me on and for the fabulous introduction. <laughs> no worries at all. Thanks a lot for taking the time to jump on. Um, how are you? What's been happening in your world? I'm doing great. Um, you know, it's summertime here, which is the best time of year. So it's, um, you know, working and getting to the gym. And um, it's about to be the 4th of July here, which is like one of the biggest uh -huh. holidays in the U.S., uh, so everything slows down and people get, you know, it's kind of like Christmas, you know, like the inverse of Christmas time. It's a nice chill time of year. Oh, cool. I know from, um, uh, I think when this episode goes out, it'll actually be slightly past the 4th of July. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's as though we're speaking from the future and, and beyond. Um, <laughs> but the, um, my, uh, my friend who I'm going to be uh, best man at his wedding actually went over to Canada. Her family's from Canada. And the 1st of July is Canada Day. So yeah. um, we we will have or we will um, we have celebrated that. And then when I spoke to um, there's a couple of people from the US that train at the gym that I work at. And yeah. they said, yeah, Canada is like the 4th of July, obviously in the US. So um, anything for a celebration I like to get involved with. So right. know, I might I might do the 4th of July as well. Um, so obviously I did a little bit of a, a brief uh, introduction there. Um, but for anyone listening who might not know your background um, in uh, in training, but also in the work um, that you do in terms of, you know, being a licensed psychologist, do you want to give a little bit of a background to yourself? Sure. Yeah. Um, I started strength training really young. My dad was really into bodybuilding. He had a piece of equipment called the Solaflex. I don't know if they ever sold those in the UK, but Back in the 1980s, he still has it actually in his bedroom long before it was okay to have a gym in your bedroom. <laughs> um, and so starting in kindergarten, really, I would like run in while he was, he would exercise after work slash, you know, pick me up from school. And he would let me, you know, pick up the little two pounders and, and do stuff. And so over the years, I was always around lifting weights and um he always encouraged me and, and was like you're really strong try this and that you know uh and so and then when I was 16 and really kind of specializing in sport is when it became more serious for me and then um when I went to college I only played one sport in the fall so the rest of the school year I needed something to do after class because it was very natural for me to want to do something physical and that's really when I think strength training became like a hobby of mine that I really developed a passion for and, and started to try to learn and understand how to do it and then when I was in my late 20s I met and later on married a strength coach who's also been on your podcast and so that like opened my eyes and enhanced my skills in my love and passion for it even more. So it's always been in my life. Um, I've been a psychotherapist since 2003. I started with a master's degree in clinical psychology and worked in inpatient psychiatric hospitals, inpatient detox units, um, intensive outpatient care, out community mental health, all kinds of different mental health settings. And then I went back to school to earn a doctorate in counseling and sports psychology. 
Um, and so that degree really focused more not on correcting mental illness, but really in helping people level up and thrive, no matter where they are on the mental health spectrum. So as you know, sports psychology and performance psychology is not really about correcting a problem. It's more about leveling up somebody who's already doing great and somebody who's healthy. So that really allowed me to work all across the spectrum with people who are very, very mentally ill to people who are kicking ass and just want to kick more ass. Yeah. Um, so I worked in college mental health for a while. Um, and then I eventually, you know, uh, started my own private practice and I worked as a substance abuse counselor for about five years also. So I, I have a specialty also in addictions counseling. So today in my private practice, I have some folks who are athletes. I have a lot of folks who are high achiever and kind of type a hardworking, um, kind of in high stakes, high pressure jobs. So they identify with that athlete part, like in their soul and they want high performance. And some of them also have some kind of behavioral thing going on with addiction, whether that be alcohol, drugs, food, pornography, something's up there, um, which is why they come seek me out. I do have regular old people who just are anxious or depressed. Um, And since going off onto my own, I've become more and more involved in the fitness industry so I have a continuing education course called Psych Skills for Fit Pros that really emerged after doing many talks like you and I are going to do today and providing in-services and speaking at seminars to fitness professionals who kept telling me over and over again, so much of my job is psychological, but there's no education, there's no training, and there's no really talking about how hard it is to help people change. So that's, um, sometimes I get to work with my husband, who's a strength coach, and we have a, uh, a seminar together that's called Strong Body, Strong Mind. Um, and sometimes I just do stuff on my own. Um, and, and my main, I would say the big rocks of what I talk about is motivation, behavior change, and then communication and psychological skills for coaches and how to use them to enhance motivation and help with change. Yeah. Oh, cool. And then you've mentioned there, you know, loads of different areas that you've that, that you've touched on. Because when it comes to um, uh, obviously uh, seeing the, uh, the the workshop, strong uh, strong body, strong mind. I, I think there's a, co- a couple coming up, um, and they kind of go hand in hand. I, I would say, and the, the the mindset side of things touches on everything. Um, whether you are involved in uh, strength training or competing, or like what you mentioned about you know b- busy professionals. Was it a case of, you know, when you were studying and, you know, playing sport yourself, was it always an interest to kind of use what you've, what you'd learn in sport and fitness and strength training, or did it kind of just naturally happen because you enjoyed it? You enjoyed it yourself. Yeah. Um, It was a very long and winding road. So when I was in college, I played volleyball in college and one of my psychology professors came to a couple of my games and she said like, she said something like, oh, have you ever heard of sports psychology? And my mind exploded. You know, it's like the first time you realize that there's cookie dough ice cream. Like how could the two most amazing things ever be in one thing? So I think in the beginning, I, I imagined the very traditional sports psychologist role of working with teams, team cohesion, performance enhancement. Prior to that, I had been thinking about industrial organizational psychology, which is really psychology in business and in systems and stuff like that. Um, But then as I 
started working in the field. And when I went back to graduate school, I realized I really like doing individual psychotherapy. And I really love motivation for the masses, not just for like the highest achieving people. So I always gravitated more towards athletes with issues than I did athletes who are all set and they just need help with their golf swing or their free throw. So I tend to like the more complicated kinds of cases. So how it has all unraveled has been a very winding road. And sometimes I wonder if I didn't marry my husband, if I would be in the fitness world as much as I am, because he does a lot of continuing education and and speaking engagements. His name is Tony Gentilcore. And he, as we were dating and got married, he would be saying more and more, like, I feel like this is a question for my wife more than it's a question for me. And so we just decided to start doing a workshop together. And I started writing blogs on his website. So, and then other people like you started asking me, you know, to come on independently. So it was a very organic, slow process. And I can say, I actually think I'm exactly where I belong because it is such a marriage of these two things that are really, really important to me. And I care a lot about, but it wasn't like I had this in mind you know, when I was 26 and I, I went back to get my, this last degree. Yeah. I, I always like to ask, you know, in terms of, you know, how, how did it all end up about? Because, you know, from other coaches, obviously having, having spoken to um, uh, Tony as well, you know, I've spoken to him a, a couple of times, which has been really, really, you know, cool episodes. Um, I think, uh, how, how does it come about? And you can see that, you know, you, you have that, passion for everything that we've that, that we've that we've tu- that we've touched on there and I think I know for me in terms of the the psychology side of things it kind of uh, when COVID hit and there was lockdown it was kind of right well I can get people a bigger deadlift and I can get people stronger but how do I help them with their mindset that they're struggling they're struggling with this or struggling with that and I actually did a a, a podcast with a, a, an athlete She's a British weightlifter, um, and she'd worked with a, a sports a sports psychologist. Technically, really, really good, top of a top of a game, an Olympian. But obviously, there was something there, like what you say, in, to level up. And I think from um, uh, for my own interest, help my own own clients and understanding. I think it's a really important topic to to touch on. Um, one of the main areas that you said there that you that you focus on is obviously motivation. Now, for everyone listening, whether you play sport, whether you uh, compete in powerlifting or whatever it may be, it's always that thing of you've got to be motivated 100% all of the time. You've got to, you know, if you're not motivated, you, you, you're not trying. What actually is motivation? What, what, what? What, what is it how does it how does it feel and probably the the second part of it which we'll, we'll get we'll get onto but is um why does it come and go yeah good question motivation is an energy and it gives you drive number one so the gas pedal but it also influences your direction so the steering wheel and I think the biggest mistake that people make when they think about motivation is that there's one tank, like there's one fuel tank and it's either empty or low or high. And that's not the case. We have multiple different tanks that have different qualities of motivation, different reasons why we would be motivated. And sometimes they're low and sometimes there's high, where they're high, but there's always motivation around with few exceptions. So what do I mean by few exceptions? 
like there are people out there who don't care at all about exercise or training and they're not thinking about it and they're not worrying about it and they say they're not motivated they are out there but they're not dming you they're not reaching out to you for services they're not signing up for your services you know what is much more common is to get people who are like thinking about it but not ready kind of motivated but like aren't at that level to make some really significant changes and those are the people I think that really zap coaches and trainers, like suck the energy out of them or frustrate them or cause coaches to feel like they're doing something wrong. And we're really that client isn't accessing their motivation the right way. And what I mean by accessing it the right way is often exercise and healthy nutrition is is pressured on people by society or by like, you should be motivated and you should do X, Y, and Z every day. And you should eat a healthy diet. And the should type of motivation can work in the short term and then it can backfire over time. So that is a motivation that is a, is a, a fuel tank, but we overuse it. And then it gets, and then it empties pretty quickly and people relapse or they quit or they drop off or whatever they do. So it's important to hear the motives, like what actually matters to your client, what's bringing them in, what makes them feel good about their training or their nutrition and to really leverage that. So whatever gas tank seems like it's the most full, go with that one for that day and realize that it might fluctuate it might change from day to day. The, the one thing that you said there is, which is obviously as, as coaches, when people come to you, they're asking for help to, you know, get to their certain goal or anything like that. And a, a word that kind of jumped out to me there was obviously their motives, which is why, you know, once you find out why they're, why they're doing something, it has a little bit more meaning, um, meaning towards them. So when it comes about when people think about motivation of walking into the gym, high-fiving, rah, rah, we're going to, we're going to chase this. Does actually motivation then change into something else or is, you know, when you say tap into that motivation and, and their why, is it important to find their why? And maybe people misunderstand motivation as being that high-fiving, clapping, getting pumped up, getting pumped mm-hmm. up the sessions. Yeah. I think that finding the why can be really useful. I don't think that it's necessary, like a necessary ingredient. What I do think is necessary is to understand why the client is showing up. So the client might want to come to be around other people in the neighborhood or in the community to um, get themselves off their butts because they have low back pain or they have knee pain to maybe meet someone because they're single. They might have all kinds of motives that have nothing to do with doing, you know, a deadlift or a body weight pull up or something that is like achievement oriented. That's not to say we can't get them there one day where they actually care about those things, but they're going to need education and repetitions, you know, and practice to get there. Sometimes people might be coming in because you know, their wife is on their case that they're drinking too many beers on the weekends and getting, you know, too squishy and you better do something about it. So I've certainly worked with coaches who like the only thing the client cares about is how many IPAs can I drink 
this weekend, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with starting there. There's nothing wrong with saying like, what kind of IPA do you like? And how many beers do you drink on a weekend? And like, how can we make a plan that facilitates that? So their why, uh, this might sound surface to people who are listening, their why might be like, I want four IPAs on Saturday and four IPAs on Sunday. What do we got to do to like, so I can achieve it? Is that extrinsic, you know, is that a material thing? Yes. Is it what's important to them in that moment? Yes. So you don't want to be digging around in that client's like heart and soul for like the love of training <laughs> or like, that's not where he's at, you know? Yeah. Other people might come in and say, I hate exercise, but every man in my family has died of heart disease before age 55. And so I'm willing to come in here and do what you tell me because I want to run around in the backyard with my grandkids and I want to be around, you know, for, for people. And I want to change this legacy in my family. So do they care about how many reps they do or how much weight they pull? No, not yet, but they care about the way that that behavior gives them outcomes that are congruent with their goals. So I'm taking the time to explain this because those are different qualities of motivation. And there is a why in both of those. It's not the same why we have like fitness professionals. We're like this part of our identity. It's part of our soul. Like we are the Kool-Aid. We don't just drink the Kool-Aid anymore. Like it's like in us and that's good for us. We're going to sustain behaviors and we do all kinds of stuff that's hard and unpleasant in the name of, you know, um, having this be part of our identity, but that's not where our clients are at. And to expect that of them or to ask that of them, number one is not going to help them. And number two may actually push them away from you or de motivate. Like if the IPA guy is like, oh man, they want me to be all like rah, rah and give a shit about, you know, how much weight I pull. Like I don't belong there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I thought there were some really good points in there and why I had to smile to myself about um, uh, if it is um, drinking IPAs on a weekend, how can I still do that and just stay in shape and not get not get any worse? And uh, what came to mind is it was actually one of my very first clients when I first started, uh, when I first started coaching. He was an Irish guy and um, he just moved to Leeds and he was uh, going out, he was going out pretty regularly. And uh, he'd come in and I'd be like, right, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this nutrition plan. Best in the world. Anyway, he went out. It was something like he went out on a Friday night and didn't actually get back until the Tuesday. And we had a session and I was like, what happened? Why aren't you taking this seriously? And I remember sitting down and he said to me, look, Steve, I enjoy, go I enjoy going out. I want to make sure he was, you know, a pretty good looking, pretty good looking guy. He was Irish as well. So, you know, the ladies liked him. Um, I just want to make sure that I don't get in any worse shape. So he said, give me what I need to do for that. And it was kind of like a red light, a, a light went off in my head of, all right, okay, let's just, let, let's just do this. Didn't want to didn't want to change too much, but then actually I ended up training for, I ended up training him for years after that. He's, you know, he, he ended up moving away, but to him, that was important to him. Um, and one thing that you mentioned there about, you know, as coaches, if we uh, try and force something on them, do you think that's sometimes where um, the coaches get caught up in sort of the social media of a little bit like what you mentioned earlier of that should 
mentality rather mm. than thinking about right okay let's just train that person in front of us rather than um me for example any everyone who comes to me for coaching you're all going to be powerlifters that's mm. going to be the best way that's that's what motivates me so that that must motivate you do you think that's mm. where sometimes coaches get wrong or can sometimes lose lose clients that way I think that's what burns coaches out. I think that's what frustrates coaches or makes them feel like they're not good coaches. And I feel like it's not, it's, is not good for the coach client relationship. You mentioned social media. I think there's many reasons why we all as people helpers have our own agenda. That's why we're in this business. Like we have a mission, you know, and time and time again, what I've heard from, from a, from a coach, like if I'll do an in-service and somebody will talk about a client, say like a client named Ben, say like, oh, Ben came in, he started working out, like he's lost 50 pounds. He, you know, he comes in three times a week. He's gotten a lot stronger, but like for the past three months, like nothing's changed. Like he's still drinking a lot. He still doesn't get good sleep. And it's, it's frustrating the coach. Like they're not progressing anymore. I'm not, and so what I like to ask is, is this a problem for your client or, or is it just a problem for you because you want more and it's good. You want more and you care and you're invested. However, it is important for you to keep in mind, what are my goals and what are my client's goals? There's going to be some overlap like a Venn diagram, but there's going to be some places where you're different. And it's important for you to remember like, this is my stuff. You know, I want him to be like in amazing shape and um, progressing, 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 but that's my stuff. That's my agenda. That's not his. And if you can have that boundary for yourself, it will really help you not to expend more mental energy than your clients, not to start personalizing. Like maybe I'm not a good enough coach or I'm doing something wrong because they're not losing any more weight or whatever. And it will just keep you focused on what they want. So you're not pulling them in a direction they don't want to go or, just wasting energy. Yeah. The one thing on there, because obviously you mentioned about that mindset of having that separation between the, the coach's goals and, and the client's goals. And do you think sometimes, because that would say to me, if that, if that, if that client Benny's still coming in, all right, sleeping very good, still drinking too much. At least they're still showing up to the gym. They, they've still got that consistency. And do you think sometimes um, in terms of the coach's mindset, it always talks about, uh, I think, what's the phrase? Is it um, you need to be disciplined or motivation doesn't last forever. You, you need discipline or what, whatever, whatever the phrase is. Do you think it's that, um, that change in mindset from a, a coach's point of view to just see that, you know what, they're still showing up. They're happy with, 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 with where they're at rather than trying to, you know, because, I mean, don't get me wrong, I love um, uh, the motivational quotes. It's a little bit like my favourite one at the minute is, um, have you ever watched the Denzel Washington speech, speech where he says, without commitment, you're not going to be able to do this. And um, it, it's, a, it's a good speech. But however, it might not motivate anyone else. It's just a cool, it's just a cool speech. Do you think that sometimes when, struggle, um, when people, uh, coaches struggle with that change in mindset? Yeah, I think so. Discipline, I, I believe, is a quality of motivation. It's in order to be disciplined, you have to have energy and you have to direct that energy time and time and time again. The difference with discipline is that we have so many repetitions in of doing something and we know that we're going to get something out of that discipline that we can tolerate 
longer periods of misery or being hungry or being sore or whatever the negative part of it is. But discipline is just another kind of motivation. And for somebody to be disciplined, they need education and coaching and they need repetition in order to see what the positive outcome is. So people like, you know, one of the things I think about for discipline, getting to the gym three times a week, maybe, or like doing food prep, you know, plenty of people who probably start out, they don't want to cook chicken on Sunday afternoon. You know, they don't want to hard boil however many eggs, but if they can, if they can get some practice and then they can see, I'm not starving and eating crap at nine o'clock at night, or I'm not jumping out and buying fast food for lunch three times a week. And I feel a lot better. And my thinking is a lot clearer and my concentration is better and my self-esteem is higher. That is going to be motivation that will help build the discipline, which means repeating the behavior despite it being unpleasant or a sacrifice or whatever. So I don't really think about motivation and discipline being different. I know that's kind of like syntax or word choice, but I guess what's important for coaches to remember is we are all disciplined because we are deeply intrinsically motivated for the outcomes for we're in it for the long game and we get it. And so we have, that is our motivation. That's what keeps us waking up early and getting after it in the gym and doing all our food prep and all the other behaviors. Um, It's not, it's not just snapping your fingers and being tough and being disciplined. It's a process. Yeah, definitely. I thought that was a, a good explanation there because one thing that you said there is we just get it. Whereas actually, you know, when you're speaking to, to clients, it's like, what, you mean that I have to do three hours of meal prep on a Sunday and cook everything that I want to eat the next week? Whereas it's that thing of um, having that reward there and they see the benefits of feeling better, having more energy, whatever whatever it may be, ties into that. And then, you know, because everyone likes... Um, I always think about it, I think of it like a game. Everyone likes, you know, when you're at school and you get a gold star, how many gold stars can I then I get today? It's always that reward of, yeah, actually, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna do this. And it's just trying to buy in or get the clients to buy into, right? This is how we build that consistency, that discipline of doing it. Because I always think, again, like like I've touched on before, that motivation, everyone has that um preconceived ideas of what motivation should look like because you always I always think people um associate uh, different words with how they should act as in phys- like physically act and it's the same with like discipline you use the word discipline and you think military doing everything doing everything like this whereas actually you know it's just a case of are we still coming to the gym three times a week that's some form of discipline there as however loose that might be in terms of what you're doing in the what, what you're doing in the gym the other, the, one of the other questions I wanted to ask on sort of the motivation side of things as well was because it will um, change depending on, you know, um, the, uh, what's happening in, in, in people's lives, can you match the motivation to the training so they can, act, they can impact on, on each other? Um, how, how do you kind of um, communicate that with coaches to try and match it so that you know you you're still building that discipline and that consistency yeah so that's a great question and i i really think you can um just the same way that you do program design around what somebody's physical goals and limitations may be you can also think of program design around what their motives or their lack of motives may be so you know 
people who are beginners, who have no skill, who don't know what the hell is going on in a gym and might be intimidated. What I would do is load on anything that is fun for them. Like as you're doing an assessment, if there's certain movements they like, or they're good at, put that in their program so that they have the experience of having fun, that they have the experience of being effective and being good at something, you know, load in the sugar <laughs> to get them to engage. And remember that motivation evolves. It can grow over time and become more and more and more intrinsic. And the way you got to get it to grow is start with something that they're actually motivated by and then have them get more and more repetition and experience in. And the three ingredients to, to growing motivation are autonomy, competency, and relatedness. Autonomy means having some volition, having some choice. So if clients say to you, I, you know, I really hate um, deadlifting with this conventional bar. It makes my hips feel weird. And I always think I'm going to screw up my, fine, give them a kettlebell or elevate, give them a trap bar, like progress, regress the movement, change it up to have them do pull throughs where they're just hinging, you know, like figure out a way for it to feel good for them. So they're not like, oh God, it's Tuesday. I got to go in there and deadlift. Now, when somebody's like you or me and they're highly motivated and they're highly disciplined and they've been doing it for a million years, there could be the worst, most torturous, horrible thing in our program. And we're going to do it right. Cause we're on board. The more novice somebody is the, the more you have to tip the scales in the opposite direction. If somebody's telling you that they're coming to see you because they want to drink IPAs, what do you want to do? You want to get them a training effect, right? You want to get their heart working. So you want to do something um, where they're going to have some kind of training effect. And the same thing for somebody who wants improved heart health. You know, you, you want them to be able to have a training effect and have some kind of fat burning effect so that they see results and also so that they feel results when they're running around the playground with their, with their grandkids or whatever they're doing. So I don't think that it needs to be really granular and complicated. Um, and I do think you can think that way. And then you can say that to your client, like, because you want really good cardiovascular health, I'm going to get you stronger, but I'm also going to put things in your program that are going to help your heart to work. So your heart can get stronger as well. So that connects the dots for them of like, this program is for me. It's you know, that makes them feel autonomous. Like this is about me. It's not me just doing what my coach says. And then once you develop that program, you have the opportunity to build their competency, which means to educate them about how to have proper form and why this exercise is, matters to you and why it's important to you. And then the more you get that, the more you're going to help enhance their motivation where they care and they're motivated and they have the energy for discipline more and more and more over time yeah i was every, everything that you were saying now i was nodding because i was like oh well, i'm not going i'm not going too far wrong from there because it is that it is that thing of everyone wants to feel as though um everyone wants to be listened to and they want to feel as though that program is for them and um as as you were speaking then i i had um i had a consult with a, a woman who was just started at the gym and um she kept using the phrase uh, she um everyone wants to be the star of their own action film and anyone who knows me i love all the 80s 90s action films like i want to be terminator i want to be rambo um and she kept sort of kind of referring to um die hard and i said so basically you just want to be the female john McClane. she started nodding yeah yeah that's exactly what i want to do cool yeah. i can work with that one of my favorite films awesome 
Mm-hmm. However, when we do the assessment, there's certain things that um, was highlighted that she that she struggled with. So one of them was uh, squatting, for example. But she wants to be a badass, and it's kind of that thing of, right, we're going to struggle squatting. What can we do that's still going to get a training effect where she feels as though she's lifting weight? Let's load this prowler up and yeah. let's push. Let's push the prowler. Yeah. So there's still the things in the background of, well, this is why I want you to do these exercises. So yeah. you can still do this but we still need to have that in the background. And another thing that uh, a little bit earlier on in the chat that you mentioned in terms of, um, you know, building a relationship and having a, you know, a a client for a long time, that's how you can, uh, uh, from what you explained that, how you can keep, keep clients and keep working with them rather than, you know, it's a a big thing that I've never been a big fan of is when we're having assessments and having it, especially in in a gym environment, having it really clinical and feeling as though they're underneath the microscope. Whereas everything that you mentioned there of, if it's a, a beginner, so I, I train quite a lot of people who are, who are new to the gym. Ultimately, they want to they want to have fun. I started I started in the gym because it was fun. I used to watch Strongman at Christmas. Of course, I want to go in and do that. It's cool. It's it, it's fun. Um, one thing that you that you mentioned on there as well is obviously when we're talking about uh, mindset and, and and working with clients. One thing which has become obviously, um, especially from my point of view, with with a lot of clients that I work with, the um, the mental health side of things. Now, obviously, um, there's uh, different areas of mental health, and you've mentioned the areas that, that that you've worked in as well. How sort of does the does the motivation and the coach's role complement or help clients with with mental health? What's the what's the uh, what's the meaning behind that? Yeah, so. Mental health, people have a hard time defining it. Often when I I used to teach uh, abnormal psychology, which is mental illness psychology, basically, and I'd ask people, how do you define mental illness? No problem. They can define, you know, distress, uh, impairment, uh, not being able to function. But how do you define mental health? And mental health is really being able to have good relationships that are rewarding, be out in the world and enjoy it and be productive in it, whether that's working or through relationships or just in seeking out different goals and interests. And when, when you are able to do that, despite stress and things going wrong and problems, that is mental health. So it is enjoying your life and functioning well in it while you have a sense of well-being, which is like the opposite of distress, you know, while you're feeling good um, and feeling and being connected to other people, whether that's one or two best friends or, you know, a community. So the way that coaches can help with mental health is that there are three basic psychological needs that all people have. And this is according to self-determination theory, which is a theory of motivation. And we all need to eat. We all need to sleep. We all need shelter, physically speaking, psychologically speaking. We all need to feel autonomous in our life, that we are driving the ship, that we are acting on our volition, that we are gaining competency. Human beings really like to have goals and get good at stuff, get better at stuff, and that we're connected, that we're related to other people. And a coach can really provide all three of those things, you know? They can help people to feel like they have choice, like they have say, that they're the ones who are directing their pursuits. Coaches can always be building competency, whether it's by giving informational feedback in session 
or providing education about why it's important to have muscle mass and why it's important to have a training effect, why it's important to sleep and eat protein, et cetera, et cetera. Like we're never done learning, even you and I and people who've been training forever, we still have a lot to learn and, and a lot of opportunities to level ourselves up and improve our level of mastery. So strength coaches and, and personal trainers, I think are in a very unique position as a profession because you can always be progressing your clients, no matter, even if they're an Olympic athlete. And then finally, relatedness is what's the connection between you and your client. And if you are working in a gym space or you run a gym, what's the connection in the community? And even virtual coaches will have online, you know, like um, Facebook groups or other ways that people can feel like they're a part of something that is greater than themselves. And psychological needs, meeting those needs are really essential to having mental health. In addition to that, what you help with is improving your client's self-esteem because when they come in and they work hard on themselves, they feel good. Self-esteem helps in every single area of life. You, if somebody's exercising regularly, they're probably sleeping better. They probably have a better appetite. They probably have a better sex drive. They're definitely concentrating better. They can also have an enhanced mood, decreased anxiety, and on and on and on and on and on. You know, every way you slice it, moving your body is good for you. So I think coaches are really in a privileged position to be able to have a positive influence on people's mental health. Yeah, I think all of those things there, um, like, like what you just finished there, you know, a positive impact on mental health. And you kind of said the opposite of, you know, um, uh, uh, you, I think everyone knows the negative sides of, of, of mental health, you know, stress, anxiety and all those sorts of things. Whereas actually on the flip side of it, you know, how would you describe um, a healthy person a healthy person they've got a good relationship with food and, and and all those sorts of things and I think that's sometimes um because the 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 negative side of things are highlighted highlighted so much yeah. the role of a coach there can have that positive impact I think there was um I, had a, I was speaking to a couple of coaches that I work with and it's kind of that thing of um the client will always see what's holding them back Whereas a coach is always only going to see their potential of how they can get better because that's what, you know, that's what a, a coach is, is there for. And there's that, um, there's that phrase in there that a coach is a coach, a friend, um, a, a, um, a, a, um, a shoulder to lean on, a shoulder to cry on or whatever it may be. There's within that job title, there's a lot of things, there's, there's a lot of things around, around that. Do you think sometimes that, um, when you said there about how the coach can have a positive role on the uh, positive impact on the client, the language that they use, because, you know, we've you've mentioned there quite a lot of positive language, whereas do you think because the negative side of mental health is highlighted quite a lot, that coaches can get into the habit of using um, mentioning about, oh, well, we don't want to be stressed. We don't want to be anxious. We don't want to be anything like that, rather than trying to think, well, OK, how can we actually um, have a positive impact if that kind of kind of makes sense? Yeah. Um, in that question, a couple sentences ago, you said something about clients will always see like their deficits or what they're doing wrong or their limitations and coaches will always see the potential. And I thought that was a nice way to say we as human beings have a negativity bias. We have a tendency to see the negative and to focus on that. Um, but coaches, the, the way that coaches should deal with that and counterbalance that bias is to have a strengths-based approach. 
what's the potential, what's this person really good at, and what's going well. And it's not because you need to be blown smoke or rah-rahing or painting a pretty picture. No, it's because the client has a irrational tendency, like it is a miscalculation in human beings that we over-focus on a problem or what's going wrong or what we suck at. And so in order to maintain a balance, you need a counterbalance, you need to load positivity. And so one way to think about that, if coaches wanna think about how could I change my language or the way I'm communicating, what I don't want you to do is think, I'm not gonna say negative stuff, right? <laughs> because even if a coach says to a client, let's not think about stress or anxiety, what's the first thing you're gonna think about? It's like saying, don't think about a pink elephant. But, you know? but it's, like, it's like saying, don't press the big red button. I wanna press the big red button now. Exactly. <laughs> So the same way you don't want to sit, tell your clients what not to do and bring it to their mind, you want to bring to clients' attention what they do do well, how you can leverage their strengths in training, and um, how you want to progress them towards their goal in a way that is achievable for them. So what I mean by that is if you have a client who like, really hates working for her first pull-up or really hates doing squats, okay. But if they love busting their ass, put them on the prowler. You know, if they're one of those people who works so, so hard and is really persistent and never, ever, ever gives up, leverage that strength in their training. And number one, it's going to make them feel good. And number two, I'm sure you can figure out a way, like you just said, train on the prowler so that you're going to get better at squatting. Right. Yeah, definitely. So I think that expression of being a strengths-based coach, sometimes people like roll their eyes at it. Like you have to be foofy or that you have to be like say, but that's not it. It's not making up stuff. That's not true. It's you. There's a famous uh, psych Australian psychologist who calls it hunting for the good. Like look for the strengths, look for the places, you know, where there's leverage and where your client brings a strength because Number one, your client's not noticing those. They're undervaluing those. And number two, you're going to get a lot more mileage and performance out of somebody leveraging what, what they do really well than trying to improve what they do really poorly, you know? And of course, you're going you're gonna to build up deficits that they have, but that's not your focus, you know, especially when it comes to beginners. There's another famous psychologist, uh, Barbara Fredrickson, who studies positivity and positive emotions and how beneficial they are for performance. And she says the ratio that achieves balance is a three to one ratio. So three positive things for every one negative because that's how heavy negativity is. It's very loaded. So you can just think to yourself like three to one, if the client sucks at one thing and hates it, but you really feel like it's important for them to do it, fine, have that one thing in there, but then you better have three other things wrapped around it that they like and or that they're good at. Yeah, definitely. I think that was some really interesting points there because I know from, um, I, I, I hope, a similar a similar avenue, but having read um, the, the Chimp Paradox and uh, the, the happiness, happiness trap in terms of the different parts of your brain. Um, uh, I actually, mainly because I like the film Planet of the Apes, um, I, I, I wrote a bit of a, a, a bit of a blog on it just to explain that, you know, it was kind of like in your head, like 
the um, Superman fighting uh, King Kong. You know, you've got that. You've you've got that um, that that chimp inside you, the illogical side of, of of your brain, if you like, and then the logical side of things. And sometimes it's just kind of uh, it's massively helped me work with my clients in terms of like, look, actually, we don't need to, you don't don't need to have that conflict um, in our head. We can uh, we can have that conversation and put ourselves in a in a better position because really, you know, in terms of all the variables that can impact our mood, you know, um, our influences on food, there's there's a lot of variables that can impact that, especially when you know you mentioned there that the negatives the negative side of things can be so heavy compared to trying to you know have that have that positivity. Um, quite a lot of topics covered there, uh, uh, Lisa. Um, really enjoyed uh, picking picking your brains. The last question that I like to ask from everything that we've chatted about there is for everyone listening, what would be your take home points or words of wisdom? Oh, man. <laughs> My take home points or words of wisdom. I'm just thinking back about what we've talked about today. I, I think if there was one take home from our talk today, it is not that you and or your clients have no motivation or that they have lost their motivation. It is in there somewhere. And what it is that's sparking them or driving them may just be some different quality, or there may be other things, other needs, other problems that are covering up or overshadowing the motivation. You know, I, I spoke to a nutrition coach once who said to me, women will DM me all the time on my Instagram feed and be like, oh, can you help me? I have no motivation. And I said, that's hilarious because that's motivation. They're going out of their way to DM you and they're saying, can I give you money and can you help me? Of course they're motivated. They need that drive and that, that fuel to even act that way. So I want you to hunt for motivation either within yourself or within your clients. And you can always do a motivational inventory. Like, you know, there's plenty of stuff that I don't want to do. Like I got to do a lot of mobility drills. I got to do a lot of, you know, like accessory work with bands and stuff that I'm like, I don't want to do this garbage, but you know what? I do want to get back to deadlifting heavy. And I do want to make sure that I'm not in pain when I'm sitting at my desk all day. So sometimes I'll just run through that, you know, when I'm starting my workout, like you do actually care about this and you, you should do it. You do want to do it because you want to feel good for the rest of the day. And you want to be getting after it for the next 40 years. So sometimes just checking yourself and reminding yourself why you care is a really great way to leverage the fuel tank that has the most energy in it. Yeah, cool. I think that was uh, some really good points to, to finish on and tied quite in well to what we spoke at, this, uh, spoke at the start, which was, I thought was a good analogy of, you know, you've got different tanks of motivation, which one are you going uh, to tap into? Um, thanks again for taking the time to, to, to jump on, Lisa. Um, for anyone who has any questions about what we've chatted about today, um, see the content that you put out there or, you know, the, the workshops that you do, where can people find you or reach out to you? Yeah, thanks. So uh, the easiest place to connect with me is on my Instagram feed. That is at Dr. Lewis Consulting. And I try to do two or three posts a week on the connection between psychology and strength training. Um, so that's just some easy, free little tidbits of content. And also I'll, I post on there about places where I'll be speaking. Um, you can also go to my website, which is really my home base. That's uh, drlewisconsulting.com. And you can see other podcasts or articles 
that I've done. Um, and you can find your way to my course if you're interested in that. It's called Psych Skills for Fit Pros. And um, that is a that has more than 13 hours of content. Excuse me. And, uh, <laughs> and it's good for CEO CEUs through the NSCA and NASM also. So if people are looking for continuing education credits, that's an online do you know on your own time course that you can also find on my website. Oh, cool! Um, 100% check out uh, check out all that content. I know from especially from from chatting with you today, um, uh, I think we kind of just touched the iceberg of, um, uh, of of what we were chatting about. But um, thanks a lot, Lisa, for taking the time uh, to jump on. Thanks a lot to everyone listening, and I will see you all next week. <laughs>